so this occasion and uh, I guess a lot of what this occasion about is about is um, meeting in a time when meeting is um, uh, restricted so we're doing virtual meeting <laughs> and yet uh, there's always uh, what's called satsang is a meeting in truth so this is where the uh, when you meet in Dhamma uh, this is where you can over, overcome the the problems of uh, that occur when one is very much uh, isolated in a in a sense world in fact we're always captives in our sensory prisons the prison of sense consciousness which limits us to just a very limited range of experience you know and the aim is to uh, liberate open the heart so we can realize qualities that go beyond sense consciousness and this is um, metta loving kindness friendship you know clarity and of course nibbana realization of nibbana stopping of suffering so this evening or for you this morning or this afternoon whenever it is it's my my night can i give a reading extract from book of the nines sutta three the advice to bhikkhu megia i won't read all of this but the story behind it is that uh, megia was acting as the buddha's attendant monk and uh, and so he said, oh, we want to go into the local village for, for alms, food, and Buddha said, okay, you go. And he came back and he saw this amazing, nice place to meditate. So he went back to the Buddha and said, oh, well, I want to go off on my own and found this really great place where I could meditate. And Buddha said, no, you, you're supposed to be staying with me, looking after being my attendant. And he said, no, you know. <laughs> You, you know, you're enlightened. I've got work to do. I should would have said, no, you stay here. So anyway, three times he asked this. And the Buddha said, okay, you know, that's what you feel about it. Go off. Do your thing. You know? So Megia goes off and sits under a tree and he's overwhelmed with his unskillful thoughts based on sensuality, ill will, cruelty, and so forth. So he, he comes back to the Buddha somewhat, you know, uh, contrite. <laughs> and the Buddha said, look, <laughs> and gives him a talk. And he said, you know, when your mind is not liberated, there are certain qualities that are conducive to its liberation. <laughs> First of these is uh, good companionship. You should seek and be with good companions, good comrades. Um, this is the first thing you need. <laughs> and uh, this is so uh, uh, so standard in in the, in the suttas. All all fortunate conditions arise dependent upon 
meeting good people, being with good people. Mm. And of course, this young fellow thought he got his, he's got his ideas, he can go off and do it on his own. Very often, this is a kind of inclination of, um, of um, immature people. <laughs> you know, they, they've got all the ideas, they got they want to go off and do their own practice. You know, you would have said, no, 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 that's not the way we, we recommend it. If you're not mature, you shouldn't do this. And uh, in fact, even um, some accounts that his arahants would be living together in groups of four or five and have the meal together every day and help each other out and go out and arms round together. And um, every every few days, just sit and talk on Dhamma. That was considered the model. So the idea of living on your own, practicing your own is rather a, a distortion of the way they actually seem to have lived. So when they meant seclusion, it meant you probably weren't hanging out, chatting with each other all day long. <laughs> you know, you, you were like 50 meters away or half a kilometer away or something. And, you know, you get together once a day or at least every few days to talk on Dhamma. And he said, well, you know, the second thing is you should dwell restrained with the training rules, possessed of good conduct and resort. So you're both training yourself in the proper way of behavior, also what to associate with. I think this is an important thing to remember. It's what you do, it's also where you go or what, what you what you associate with. And now, of course, we can very much associate with anything that comes on a screen. Literature, magazines, books, movies, Netflix, and so forth. So these for a bhikkhu would be considered wrong resort. You're not actually physically going somewhere, but you're putting your mind into the wrong places. Yeah. And if you do so, then it's, you much must absorb. Your mind is distracted and drawn out. So, and then the third thing is you should easily be able to get in touch with people who can give you a talk, which is about self-effacement, letting go, um, contentment. Life of self-effacement, sobriety, that is conducive to opening the heart. But his talk on fewness of desires, on contentment, on being secluded, not socializing, on arousing energy, on good behavior, and so forth, concentration and wisdom. So, talk that opens the heart rather than closes it or uh, congests it with trivia or with circumstantial stuff. So, the talking then on topics that take on deeper. So we're not just dealing with circumstances. Obviously, this is, doesn't mean you never talk about this, you know, who's doing the washing up today or whatever. But there should be access to focused, focused talk. Yeah. And this is what you get with Kalyanamita. Aroused energy for abandoning unskillful qualities and 
acquiring skillful qualities becomes strong and firm in that group support pretty much standard uh, you know. I mean if you retreat you generally do them in a group monasteries a lot of it's group practice because it's just the pragmatic recognition that the presence of other people just helps to, you to keep your resolve firm and takes you over these places where you might drift off or wander or something and just you know just the very fact of sitting together and being together and he begins with this you begin to recognize the changeability the impermanence of your mental qualities and mind states they come and go um, and this is most important because it's not always the case you can have agreeable um, conditions um, but you can con have conditions that you can recognize this is changing this is going to change mm. yeah sometimes we're sick or we're tired you're not feeling that great but when you have the understanding this is just a flow of experience one passes through you've got a, a place to not get caught in it all so it emphasizes again if you have good friends good companions good comrades then these are the kind of qualities you can expect will easily be aroused for you they will easily come to you and so of course if we are um, committed to being Kalyanamita then these are the kind of things we want to bring into our dialogue and companionship with each other and then in fact you're coming down to some pretty common ground no matter what, what your job is or your age is or your, you're coming down to a common ground and it's this sense of touching the common ground that is so helpful to get perspective you know she's doing this he's doing that she's feeling this this is what's happening for me not right now but the basic common ground is this and you suddenly when you get there you can look at your your particularities from a more enlightened perspective this is just stuff one's going through don't get lost in your life <laughs> in, you know in the circumstantial aspect of it this is what the common ground is and this is the place of the kalyanamita kalyana is an attribute of the dhamma the dhamma is always called kalyana uh, translators beautiful admirable uplifting lovely um, inspiring kalyana the dhamma is called kalyana in the beginning kalyana in the middle and kalyana in the end i mean it's it's got a beautiful aspect to it when you first touch into it it encourages good qualities as you practice it and it leads you to good place so and in a way the kalyanamita is someone who is helping to embody and live make that quality living rather than just an idea it's quite a, a beautiful responsibility to to undertake and to remind oneself we can all be kalyanamitas to each other it's not just i want everybody else to be kalyanamita to me <laughs> but 
I want to be, you know, it's a, it's a mutual contract in which we help to hold each other up and, and, and steady ourselves. By, because, you, you, example, talking, you know, you need people to talk to and listen to and be a listener to, to bring out these qualities. Uh, yeah. And it's this sense of the mutuality encourages us to express ourselves in domic ways, to be seen and heard in ways that are appropriate. So we begin to reform because so often our lives are actually formed by this, the society that we're in, the social group that we're in. That's just the nature of human beings. We're poured into a relational form. You know, mother, father starts with that. Then you've got friends and peers and brothers and sisters and school people. And then you've got employers and employees and bosses and jobs and society and so forth. You're poured into a, a condition where relationship is inevitable whether you want it or not it's inevitable <laughs> and so you can't get out of it and so you're trying to really use it as a crucible to hold your mind in something skillful you're saying well this then acts as your fundamental network and the idea is that uh Kalyanamita is a, well, the external description of that association with good people, skillful people, and that is supported by and conduces to one's own skillful attention. So it's said, for example, that the conditions for the arising of right view, there are two conditions. One is your own deep skillful attention, the other is the voice of another. Voice of another. It's actually not just the idea, but somebody talking, mm. talking to you. Mm. There's something happens in the, in the living quality of that. When you pick up humanity, the sense of being listened to and addressed in a in a skillful way these are two then they want to internalize that yeah so that in fact we relate to ourselves our own hearts and mind as if you know we are being kalyanamitas to ourselves. yeah we say suchito stop that now just just pause because don't bother with that go here <laughs> so this is what the external kalyanamita can do to support one's own uh, appropriate appropriate attention don't get caught up in that go here and similarly uh, if you're with another person then you want to have your attention as something you can help them with yeah. So it's a very much a shared and um, selfless kind of dhamma because it's not about, you know, 
personal who's better and who's worse and this, that, and the other. It's just about bringing up and sustaining skillful qualities. So, so with this, this is, I think this is why the Buddha I mean, mentioned this quality many, many times, actually. But he's really driving you home to this rather stubborn <laughs> bhikkhu who, I mean, who decided he was going to leave, you know, he knew better than the Buddha was going to go off and do his own practice. I mean, what an arrogance. <laughs> and he said, okay, when you've got this established, holding this together, still established in this, you don't leave that, that matrix. You've internalized the Kalyanamita. You've externalized these potential. You've brought this together into a whole uh, open-hearted way of living. You're open. You know, topics that open the heart rather than congest it. You know. Topics that go straight to the heart rather than drift off into the world of fantasy and speculation. Topics that make you, give you something specific that you can focus on and apply yourself to skillful qualities. So you've got that. Now, certain things, be aware of the tendency to, to passion or lust, simple bodily experience whereby the body heats up. And um, so to do to this, you actually begin to contemplate how your own body is something, the physicality is something that's not, you're not delighting in. And this is called a super unattractiveness. And, uh, you know, you can think that means you see everybody else as unattractive. But actually, uh, it seems that substantially it's seeing your own body as something that's not got a sign of beauty to it. If you look into the world of nature as well as the world of humans generally when people start to puff themselves up you know like they can doll themselves up or put fancy clothes on you know it's their own embodiment that they're making attractive they're kind of delighting in the masculinity or delighting in the femininity and they said this is the first um movement towards this quality of passion you are you know, emphasizing this. Now, if you see this physicality is just, it's just, just tissues, you know, <laughs> it's not anything other than that. It's not uh, uh, some kind of charismatic image. It's just tissues. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, that's all it is. So you use that to, to, to cut off that particular heating experience, which can be very hypnotic. And we can see uh, clearly, in, see animals going crazy with this stuff. And human beings don't do much better either. <laughs> They're fighting and jealous and the amount of energy that goes into it. Just completely mesmerized by this power. So well, if, you, if that comes over you, start to develop this practice uh, and still you know within this you can still experience good friendship it doesn't 
doesn't take you out of Kalyanamita, doesn't take you out of open-heartedness, doesn't take you out of that. In fact, second quality you should develop is the quality of metta. Uh, and this is, again, very significant. It's not an add-on. <laughs> it's uh, when you recognize the, the, the unwholesome roots of mind that the Buddha talked about, he mentioned um, sensuality, harming, and cruelty. So that's two of those are negative and right now we're looking we're looking in the news i don't know if you pick up some of the stories you know with this lockdown situation the level of domestic violence has increased people can't get away from each other they start to get nasty to each other slap each other around you know these are people who obviously must have had some affection or something to be living together and yet you know there's something chafing about being with other people who can't do it my way. Yeah. And uh, so this sense of metta is like something that is essential to remedy the sense of irritation with others. Also, the feeling of being disliked by others. We feel intimidated, we feel frightened, we feel guilty, we feel inadequate. You know, we think other people are, yeah, and it's all this negative quality. Jealous, not as good as, uh, she's so wonderful, I'm not. All this is still a quality of ill will, often directed towards our own our self, our mind, our heart, what we think we are. We can be creating ourselves in a negative mold and creating others in a negative mold. The mold of your will is there, and just with that, you just select the mind, selects items, and pours it into this mold till she becomes a person I can't stand, or he becomes. This then has to be counteracted with that which accepts fundamentally puts aside the resisting, the aversion, that jumping up into conflict. Uh, and this is not something definitely to direct towards oneself because often, you know, the heart is quite undernourished. And in daily life and social life, um, in our societies, because they are so competitive and work-oriented, then uh, this does not uh, necessarily encourage the quality of acceptance of goodwill. It, it encourages the quality of performance and competition and getting better. And, uh, yeah. and worrying as well. So every day, you ideally, when you first rise you start to cultivate may I be well you know what and treating what relating to what's may others be well not just as an idea but really getting a feeling for that so the energies of the heart are then collected together into a a state where it easily settles 
And this is the feature of all skillful dhammas is that when you contact and you align yourself to a skillful, still, skillful quality, the mind tends to settle. If it's not settling, it's generally in worry, agitation, sadness, some negative quality. Not by any means passion, but often negative qualities. So these two primary practices help the mind to come to oh, it settled. Third quality he recommends is mindfulness of breathing. Um, so that the tendency to just jump off. You stay with a breath. This tends to uh, moderate the energies of the mind. To sustaining and slowing and lingering in and taking in the qualities of breathing. Not just the air, but the, the energies of breathing it helps to satisfy the body, comfort the body, comfort the mind. So then you have, then, then you have your mind is then prepared to contemplate impermanence. So he says, mindfulness of breathing helps to cut off the thinking mind or, or distracting mind and then you cultivate the perception of impermanence or changeability or relativity anichang anicca very um, fundamental um, uh, reference in Dhamma um, it's the opposite of Nietzsche Nietzsche means the absolute, the unchanging, uh, you know, the eternal, if you like. So Anicca means the dependent, the contingent, the changeable, that which requires something else to hold it together. It's always in a state of unsettled. You contemplate this, noticing where that sign is. And so you wonder about this thought and particularly towards not just flowers and birds, but towards thoughts and emotions, just contemplating they are relative, dependently arisen on other factors. And the very substance or the very material by which one's apparent self gets created is being seen through. And this is why he teaches it. He says the perception of impermanence should be developed in order to eradicate the notion I am. I am. So I am a particular state. I am a particular condition. Whenever that experience is the case, what is the condition? I am sad, I am sick, I am not liked, I am this, that, the other. Mind is stuck on something. What is it stuck on? We need to investigate that. So, and if it's not stuck on anything, it's very difficult to establish the perception I am anything. <laughs> it's not stuck on anything. Yeah. 
and you know you realize that something this quality of trying to become a a, a, a fixed person or a fixed state is so ingrained that we will become negative states very you know it's not just fun it's like the mind is attracted towards anything that can give rise to a familiar steady sense and so you know one's negative habits oh, that's me so much so that the Buddha is saying, well, you know, if, because this is such a powerful thing, then it's best that you at least have some positive habits. <laughs> if you're going to become something or the other, you're going to be an I am. You want to be an I am in a positive state. So he gives us this list of factors such as kindness, contentment, calm, steadiness. You know, if you want to be an I am something, be one of those, rather than this kind of endlessly self-creative, self-critical, uh, um, inadequate I am but how much energy goes into creating oneself you know the mind often with thoughts spinning around circumstances memories histories projects conversations just s stitching it all together now when it's seen that that is an activity that doesn't create anything apart from its own agitation mind could possibly there was a settledness that one could dwell in there was a settledness established by loving kindness there was a settledness established by mindfulness of breathing because it you know is there a settledness that's established just by seeing all this stuff is just spinning around it's not a self it can't never does create a self it creates an attempt to be a self yeah. it creates an ongoing habit to attempt to be a fixed state but it never does it <laughs> did, you, did you notice that so it has to keep doing it some more so he said, well, when one perceives impermanence, the perception of non-self is stabilized. One who perceives non-self eradicates the conceit I am, which is Nibbana in this very life, in the here and now. That's a powerful statement. And clearly here, as in many of these suttas, you see, you know, most of the whole, all the teachings presented in one sutta. So it's just these lines that the Buddha's drawing, not filling all the details, but these constant lines, skillful behavior, skillful relationship, skillful support, uh, happiness, contentment, simplicity, uh, open-heartedness, warm-heartedness, friendship, you know steadying in your body this is constantly these same lines are being drawn you know, towards this point to lift the heart out of these vortexes of, of um, imprisonment imprisoned in our self-imagery 
in our self-complaining, in our self-agitation. See, it's just an agitation. And it can be even to see it as that and to recognize that that's just that. That's just habit doing its thing. It's not something one can't own it. If you could own it, you'd stop it. You could do something about it. So this is the beginning of that realization of not-self. And the more that that can be deepened in, there is a very pragmatic uh, and accessible avenue to Nibbāna. Nibbāna means the unbinding of all that, the cool turning down the fire of that self-creation. And here, as in many cases, there's a beautiful paradox in the ending of self-creation is supported by friendship, by other people. It's not supported by, I've got to get away from other people so as I can get more, you know, uh, enlightened. You know? Because other people, all these self-stuff gets in the way. No, no, no. Proper cultivation of our friendship and relationship is not about binding and entangling and congesting is that which helps to unbind one's own intimate tangle. You realize other people probably listen to you a lot better than you do. Yeah. Other people can see you perhaps a lot better than you do. Other people can get right to the point. Wise people of what's happening for you better than you can because we see everything through this distorted perceptions, uh, trying to become something, trying to prove something, trying to defend ourselves, trying to accumulate something. That messes everything up. So this is where the spiritual friendship is, is supportive for deep attention. And these are the uh, two legs, two limbs of the stream entrance. So in your practice, um, remember, it's, it's ironic that we're in this somewhat separative state, but in a way we always are in lockdown. We're normally locked down inside a, uh, you know, a skin bag. <laughs> so no excuse, you know, you can still uh, uh, use our telephones and Zooms and... Uh, and consider and reflect and attain noble company even in this situation uh, and remember the noble company that you have and the noble com companion that you can be and then you're in line with what the Buddha is recommending here. So I'll offer that for your reflection this morning, this afternoon, this evening, anytime you like. <laughs>